Zone, a Star Trek podcast by ladies, where we talk about Star Trek loudly and at great length. I am your host, Corrine, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Kim. Hello. And Ari. Hello. And right now we are staring at Kim's socks. Aren't they pretty? <laughs> Ari actually made these ones for me. I did. Really? Yeah. yeah. They were a Christmas gift a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Can I get some more this year? We'll see. Okay. So this is our 13th episode, yeah. and this is also the... 13th episode. episode! We are synced! Yes, seriously. We are synced! Because we did our last episode was a two-parter, mm-hmm. the hideous, hideous, hideous oh, two-parter, yeah. and we squished it into one episode because right. we love ourselves. <laughs> Kim, I think you mean riveting courtroom drama. No, it was awful. Well, actually, if you ignore the part of all of the flashbacks, it's a perfectly serviceable low-notch episode. Riveting courtroom drama is the nicest thing you can say about it, though. I have seen better episodes of Law and Order. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So, speaking of Law and Order, (laughs) today we take on Conscience of the King, uh, which I tend to think of as a cautionary tale about crop diversification. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that's beautiful. I never even considered that. That's great. That is beautiful. Thank you. I really think we should just stop right now. I think we've peaked. I don't know. I want to steal that as my life lesson. (laughs) <laughs> You'll plenty of time to think of another one. That's true. So, guys, I'm going to kind of give you a bit of a shocker. Kim, I think you will be shocked. Yeah. Despite the fact that this episode is about Kirk's man pain, his delicious, <laughs> delicious man pain, and how captains have to be a machine, this is not a great episode. You didn't like it? I love this episode. I actually kind of liked this episode. It was of, like, the last batch that I have been mildly enthusiastic about, I am the most mildly enthusiastic about. (laughs) High praise from Kim. (laughs) Praise from Caesar is praise indeed. (laughs) Oh, a line that a line that appears in this episode, actually. No, it does not. Well, there's a Caesar reference. There is a Caesar reference. So there's so much Shakespeare in this episode, guys. Here's the thing. No, there is a great episode of television lost in this passable episode of television. Somewhere, there is a kernel of an amazing story. I would almost say a Shakespearean story, if you will. That's certainly what it wanted to be. Yes! This episode wants to be Hamlet. No, it wants to be Hamlet and Macbeth at at the same time. I don't think they really thought that one through. Were they doing both plays? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. First one is Macbeth. Okay, because I've seen Macbeth and I've couldn't figure out what was going on at the end because I'm like, to be honest, I've never actually seen Hamlet outside of like slings and arrows, so I've never actually seen the whole play done. So I was trying to figure out like, what part of Macbeth is this? And then it hit me when they got to the last few quotes that oh, that was not Macbeth. Yes. Have you never had to sit through the eight-hour Kenneth Brana ego fellation that is his Hamlet? No, Hamlet's oh. not one of my favorite plays anyway. It is a very good play, but um, this episode mainly traded on it so that they could have a play at the end wherein they actually catch the conscience of the king. I mean, someone was having a really good day in the writer's room when they managed to put that through. I feel like someone was like, 
my English degree has finally <laughs> come to fruition. Suck it, mom and dad. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. So I'm going to let that part go. Yeah, but I cannot shake the feeling. And we are going to get into some glaring plot holes. Oh, God, so many. That actually overshadow my enjoyment of this story. And there's one huge thing that I got. I want you guys to consider when we're talking about this episode is why is Kirk emotionally involved in this story? What do you mean, why is Kirk emotionally involved in this story? Why He was one of the people, like, he was living on this planet when this massive massacre happened. He yeah. was a witness to it. That's he had a traumatic why he's emotionally experience. involved in he it. He had a traumatic experience. Which is also why he's acting kind of irrational. We never see any evidence of that. We never hear any stories. We don't hear him talk about it. It's as abstract as anything. Well, well so just like it. all other character development. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not any different than anything else we learn about in Star Trek into him that we're told this thing happened, and here's the, and then we're here's the story that revolves out of us being told. Yes, but my argument is that Riley's story was more affected, affecting than Kirk's. Well, I would argue that that's because Riley's allowed to have feelings about it, and Kirk doesn't think he Kirk is. Kirk is allowed to have feelings about this. I think this is supposed to be a big story about revenge and justice, but but there's no emotional anchor. No, for I it. W- I will grant you that. Like Kirk, he doesn't act Kirk like wasn't it. allowed to have the feelings of emotion and revenge because he had to logically figure out if this was true, and, he's and that was his role. Well, that's because it's this weird Shakespeare play wrapped up in a mystery murder theater. Yeah. It's it's at it, half point a detective story trying to answer a question. Well, Spock's part certainly Spock's is. part is um, the detective a mystery story. murder, yeah. which everyone already knows the answer to. Yeah. And the other part is supposed to be the story of revenge, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't buy it. Or not giving in to revenge, I think, would be more what does Kirk? What does Kirk have to revenge? At no point do we get one. Well, we point. don't actually know that. No. Well, we do know that his parents and his entire family is alive. Well, his immediate family, yes. Well, he, I mean, he, you know, again, because you're right, we don't get a lot of backstory about what mm-hmm. actually happened to Kirk here. But assume this was a planet where he was, like, this was the city where he was growing up. And these he, were his his school friends and his, his school friends' parents and his neighbors. And that's why he would be interested in figuring out is this the guy that supposedly murderated them all? Actually, I want to hang out on hang on to this one until later because there's one really good line I actually think addresses this in a great deal, but I want to wait until we're in the appropriate moment. Ugh. So this episode actually opens on Shakespeare. No, it opens on a dagger. Yep. Yes, okay. Is this a dagger that I see before me? It oh, is in fact a dagger. Yes, it, is, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is a literal dagger. So it's amateur theatrical night on Planet Q. Well, we would hope amateur theatrical night, but no, apparently they are professional actors. So they are performing, Kim, they are performing which play? Macbeth. Yes. Which you can say aloud because we are not in a theater. No. no. We are in a yeah. recording studio We're in a padded room. I had this moment of just reflexive, oh shit, you can't, oh no, it's cool. We're you laughing. absolutely can't. It's an urban legend. So my question about this is why are the walls of the theater in the fake stone as well? I have a better question. Why is this music so goddamn cheerful? I thought when this started and before I figured out what was going on, I was like, oh, great, another Ren Fair. <laughs> <laughs> How could you distinguish a Ren Fair in Star Trek from just Medieval Planet? There, there's no difference. But the music in this is weirdly cheerful. It's like Ren Fair music. It's like yeah. background Ren Fair music to the Medieval Mall. It's so weird, and I found it really jarring because it's the dagger scene in Macbeth, and the music is super upbeat. Yeah. Well, essentially, Macbeth has just murdered the king. Yeah. And he strolls out. And the thing is, the part that I was really stuck on, Macbeth is, oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 
Also, uh, his wife is being played by his daughter. Yeah. That's weird. Well, electric complexes are going to come back to bite us in the end. So many of them. And the other thing is, is that there, his, uh, his outfit and the other outfits are like kind of medievally, medievally. Which is why I thought it was a Ren fair. Fair enough. And then her outfit, which is some dragon tastical hair and. Yeah. Okay, so first question, what was this character's name? Because I think they said it once at the beginning and never what, again. Lenore? Yeah. Lenore. Lenore. They Lenore. say it 85 million Lenore times. Lenore. 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 It's practically a popo. And the best name, that. the actor who is actually her father, is Anton Caridian. I'm yes. going to call him Anton because Caridian yeah, is very difficult yes. to remember. Okay, in my head. so Lenore's outfits through the entire episode were so cracktastic <laughs> that I had to pause every single time I was walking to write down detailed descriptions of them. Which but I had look forward to. She's an eccentric actress. No, um, she's 19. Yeah, she's 19. There's also, that that help. she wears the most ep- uh, outfits per episode of any Star Trek guest star, with the exception of, I think, Joan Collins. Wow. Joan Collins is a guest star in Star Trek? Wait for it, Kim. It'll be Wait. worth it. <gasps> oh my god, I'm so excited. What episode yes. is that? So we're watching... I don't know. It's a while, but oh, trust me. Just yeah. It's worth the way. Yeah. So um, the theater is populated entirely by Kirk, his bro, Dr. Layton. I thought he was on a date. <laughs> That's the fair interpretation, Well, actually. it would be because they are surrounded by black turtlenecked students. <laughs> you practically expect them to snap instead of clap at the end. Oh, that was. No one's wearing a beret, though. I guess they don't need berets in space. We didn't see to the end of the theater. That's true. This appears to be a theatrical presentation attended by five people. Yeah, it does. Planet Um, Q apparently has a. Yes, it's Kirk and his friend Tom, and they're leaning together and watching, and you think they're just sort of watching the play, and Kirk's all smiley and indulgent. And then Tom leans over and says, It's him. That's. That's what's. Kodos the Executioner. Bum, bum, bum! And that is, of course, where we go to the theme. Um. I was more focused for this scene, more focused on not who the hell Kodos the Executioner was, but is that dude wearing an eye patch? Yes. And it turns out he is. Now, he's wearing here's, a here's an additional thing. He's wearing, like, <laughs> like Phantom of the Opera yeah. <laughs> over one eye. And it's in silk. And it's in two parts. The eye it's patch fancy is a separate part from mm-hmm. half of the other rest yeah. of his face. Patch. It yeah. is all silk. How would that stay on his head? I'm, Space science. I think it's grafted on. <gasps> Silk? Ooh. No cam. I don't Ooh. know. Oh, it didn't move though, and it didn't. It looked like it was flawlessly applied to his entirety of his face. It was very solid. Yes. Yeah. Um, the thing I do want to note though that if you don't know going into this episode who Kodos the Executioner is, he's a bad guy, by the way. Um, that line could easily be taken as some other role Anton Caridian played because if you don't know who that guy is. It doesn't really have the same impact. Has Kodos, has Kodos the Executioner, nope. no, he hasn't been mentioned before? Definitely not, but I'm pretty sure we all heard the music, which went, dun, dun, dun! I don't know. I, I mean, I already knew who he was, so it's hard to judge, but I feel like it wouldn't have had the same impact. Yeah, mm. but it's a mystery, right? That's yeah. the, again, yeah. that's the other hand of this episode yeah. is a mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what the mystery is, who is Kodos the Executioner? Yes. So it's Stardate 2817.6. The ship has been diverted to go see Dr. Thomas Layton, who, <laughs> oh, Thomas, who apparently is working on a synthetic food that might eliminate starvation. Meat? But he lied. Can they all lied. just eat space Play-Doh like everyone else? No replicators yet either. Yeah, he lied. He totally lied. Uh, he called up his old friend Jim Kirk. He said, hey, Jim, you should totally come because I have this thing. He does not have this thing. He did not solve starvation, which in itself is slightly ironic because... <laughs> 
of what happened in their yep. personal shared backstory. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're in Dr. Layton's office, his living room. His I think it's somewhere in his house. It's his house. He's got a really, like, loungy house. It's a very lavish Everything place. on this planet felt very 1970s lounge, lounge lizard, including the party they throw. Which was amazing because this was filmed in the 60s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ahead of its time. Ahead of its time. So we get the backstory of who Kodos was. Mm-hmm. Is. Definitely is. That definitely is. is. Absolutely. This is the worst mystery ever. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that Kodos was the governor on Tarsus Four, mm-hmm. and there was an exotic fungus yep. that came down and destroyed all of their food, which I assume was one food that they put in a silo, because that doesn't make any other sense otherwise. And Kodos staged a revolution. So he wasn't originally the governor. He, was, he staged a coup. He staged a coup, became the governor, much like in Walking Dead, or what I assume Walking Dead, because I've never seen it or read it. Nope, no idea. <laughs> but he's the governor, and he's in charge of things that have gone to crap. Yep. And Kodos decided that because there was not enough food for everyone to last, there were 8,000 people on this planet, 8,000 colonists, is that he would choose, by his eugenics reasoning, 4,000 people to be killed so that the other 4,000 would live. Yes. The useful, desirable 4,000. Yeah. We're going to get back to that because, again, that doesn't make any sense to me. But what happened is the supply ship showed up. Yeah. And right before this or... In and around the same 24 hours, there was a revolution. A counter-revolution. A counter-revolution from the remaining 4,000 people where Kodos, when the supply ships arrived, Kodos' burned body was found on the planet. He was assumed dead. The details are very hazy. Yes. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah. Um, but the important part for this episode is that after that, there were only nine witnesses who had seen his face, who had survived the massacre. Okay, that's Leave it for later. Ma- save no, it. no. Save it. it doesn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't because we don't have enough information, and it's a huge plot hole because they never explain the How were there only nine people there... left alive who saw his face? Yeah, so, like, that was the other thing. It's, like, a colony of 8,000 is not exactly enormous. It's, like, a small town. My town was 6,000 people. I knew every single person in it. Yeah. I, I would know their faces so, if I had yeah, to. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, if he were already there and living with these 8,000 people, like, everybody saw him. So, like, maybe it's only seven or nine people left who saw him actually commit the act and can prove maybe it's that. him. Maybe that. Maybe actually. that's what they're no, they explicitly say that there's only nine people who know his face that can identify him it's as definite, Kodos. It's definitely a plot hole. No one they have pictures of him. Yeah. yeah. They do. Plus you put the pictures next to each other. But I mean a picture isn't enough to go, yeah, that's the guy. They also have voice recognition. Yeah. Apparently not DNA, but then I looked at it and I was like, oh yeah, they hadn't invented DNA. <laughs> not that they hadn't invented DNA, but they, they weren't using it in crime figured it out yet. Yeah. But like dental records, no one took a dental record, no one took a picture. That part, like that. We also don't even know how Kirk ended up on Tarsus, but that's never been explained. No, Kirk was apparently. The internet is just as upset about this as we are. There's there's a number no of things. There's supposed to be a throwaway line that he might have been a Starfleet officer when he was serving on Tarsus. Except he was 13. Except that that would have contradicted the fact that Kirk is a young buck, a young Turk. And so they kind of retconned it to the fact that he was 13. Why was he on this planet? We do not know. We know that he wasn't born there. Yeah. We don't know how he ended up there. And we know for a fact within the rest of canon that his family is alive. Yep. And he grew up in Iowa. And that he grew up in Iowa. So what he was doing on this planet, we do not know. 
how there are only nine people alive, which I will grant you is an amazing Agatha Christie level. It is. It is. Um, I think that's as far as their thinking went, honestly. It's like, okay, we have to limit the pool here. Let's just say, what, nine people. And then no one ever bothered to back that up with information. I guess, but like in my murder mystery heart, I know I want an explanation. Bothers me so much. And again, that's why I'm asking for that emotional connection with Kirk. Why was he on this planet? If he'd explain, I've been on vacation, seeing my grandparents, and they were slaughtered in front of me. Fine, I'm into your story, 100. percent Let's go on this journey of revenge. I I would like they could have done that with one line, but they didn't. And I wonder if that was something that got cut. Maybe No. no, no, just incomprehensible. Okay. Because like, they could have done it so easily. Yeah. They could have so easily fixed this hole, and they didn't. And the thing, I don't remember noticing this the last time I watched this, but it's been some years, and now it's bugging me. Well, it's especially um, obvious because we get Riley's backstory. Yeah. And in, again, takes one line, they killed my mother in front of me, they killed my father in front of me, and yeah. you buy that. That yeah. makes it so incredible. Like, we don't even understand what happened to Leighton. He says that Kodos did this to me, and he reveals no the Phantom of the Opera. So and I think they're sort of just sort of building up this this mass of, of chaotic events that no one really understands the details of, and we're just supposed to go, oh, okay, no one knows. But it's detailed enough because yeah. in DS9, Quark says the Ferengi never had an event like Tarsus for yeah. Oh, really? That's true. Interesting. That's true. It's only referenced maybe four times in the entirety of Star Trek canon that I can think of. There's one book that talks about it, and there's a throwaway in another book that Hoshisato was among the victims. Oh. But that's it. It's never touched on again. It's never properly explained. It's never... And you would think that the traumatic man pain event in Jim Kirk's childhood would be something they would want to go back to, but they never do. Like, episodic amnesia. It's... Yeah. I think, no, I, I don't think you can even let it go on episodic amnesia because it's that they just, they didn't do the one thing that would have made this a really solid backstory thing. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I didn't actually care that much about the backstory. Just knowing that this event had happened was enough for me and just the details and just trying to figure out what Kirk wanted to do. Like going along, riding along with Kirk and trying to figure out what he wanted to do about it. And while he was trying to work out his feelings. And the more you guys talk about it, the less I like this episode. Here's the thing. Here's why it bothers you so much. Here's why it bothers me so much. Is that Kodos is set up as Macbeth. In the very beginning, Mm -hmm. his path is supposed to follow Macbeth's path. That he starts with a man who has noble intention. Kodos wants to save the colony. Supposedly. Or at least the best part of the colony. I do not buy this for the record. And ends up bloodying his hands in his pursuit of power and loses sight of the goal that he originally had and is pulled along by Lady Macbeth, who in this situation is Lenore. So there's the parallels right there. That's certainly how Kodos casts Yes. I do not. That's because he's playing them in the beginning yeah. of the play. Anyways, so second layer to that is that Kirk is Hamlet. Is that there's been this terrible wrong against person and state when Claudius kills the king. And that he is injustice. on this journey of there's been an injustice caused. He's on this journey. And one part of him is saying seek revenge. The father part, the primal part, the masculine part is saying revenge, revenge, revenge. But his logical part, his heart, his soul is saying if I murder Claudius... I am a murderer. I have committed sin. So he spends the entire play oscillating in indecision. What wins out? My, my, my loyalty, my obligation to my father, or this, or do I need to 
follow the, the path of righteousness and instead bring him to justice. Revenge or justice. And that's what's happening. This is the story of revenge or justice, or it should be. Yeah, it should be. And I so don't like that they... this episode is more interesting. It makes more sense <laughs> if you know the story of Hamlet. <laughs> oh my know. god. So guys, we're going to take a break and go back to Kenneth Branagh's eight-hour ego fast. I'm going to read Hamlet. They're going <laughs> to fill me in on the footnotes. Uh-huh. And then this is going to make a lot more sense for you. Because yeah. that's why, for me, it's so unsatisfying. Yeah, because you only needed one line. You need to know exactly what Kirk's personal stake in this is. Yes. Like, you buy justice because he is a fundamentally moral person. Yes. But revenge is only even remotely justifiable in a narrative if you have a personal stake that has the potential to override your morality. Mm-hmm. Like, I know this is wrong, but my feelings say that it's all right anyway. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just... But it's fair. Okay, this is why Riley makes so much more sense in the story. Yeah, and so yeah. does so does Leighton. Even yeah, oh yeah. Even yes. if we don't assume that his family was brutally slaughtered, which well, I think is a took reasonable half of assumption. His face. He, yeah, you know, disfigured him horribly, and mm-hmm. you know, and that's why it, the central theme of this needs to be murder and revenge, and they skirt around it because there's never enough personal stakes. It's never the story of he killed my father, he's sleeping with my mother, he's made her something. A like primal, something very primal, something yeah. has been wronged, and there is a big wrong. Not to say that the death of four thousand people isn't nothing, but we needed just one personal inlet into that story. Yeah. I mean, for the purposes of enjoying the episode, nonetheless, I sort of put in my head that there's someone on that planet that died that he cared about, but yeah, we never actually get that canonically, and it is very frustrating. It works better if you just assume his entire family was wiped out. <laughs> it could have been, like, aunts and that. uncles. It could have been, like you said, a grandparent would have been very appropriate. Yeah. yeah. But well, anyway. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know, because that's what I did. I just filled it in for myself that, you know, mm-hmm. he and his Someone. family were living there, because I think, isn't his father a Starfleet officer? His father is a Starfleet Maybe officer. Maybe they were posted there for some reason. Like, he was, like, he was there. I assume he was living there, and he was emotionally connected to the community a, and why it's resonant. There's a... a quasi-apocryphal explanation that that George Kirk takes Kirk takes Jim Kirk along like on his first voyage into space and this is where they just happen to end up and were there when it happened but that's still unless someone he cares about was horribly murdered it doesn't quite track but anyway anyways the fact is Martha Layton thinks her husband is the worst (laughs) and Kirk is super pissed because well, obviously, because he could get fired. You but the most important thing is Martha hates her husband. Oh, God. <laughs> well, she doesn't hate him, but she's oh, like, she hates him. I am so done with this. You yeah. are way crazier than was advertised to me when we got married. Yeah. Hates him. Yeah. Hates it was, him, yeah. Him. I mean, she, she tells, like, Kirk, I can't talk to him. You do it. Uh, and Leighton. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're Kirk, a better wife to him than I ever was. <laughs> yeah. And Kirk is like, you've broken, like, three laws. You're going to get us both in trouble. What am I um, supposed to say in my diary? What am I supposed to say in my diary? And uh, Leighton is just full on the Agatha Christie train. <laughs> Fuck this. We're going to smoke him out with a cocktail party. <laughs> I love Which, that. Which, again, if he had read any Agatha Christie, he would know that he would end up dead by the end of that yeah. episode. Now, Kirk thinks this is nuts, and he's like, you're crazy. I'm going back to my ship. I'm taking my ball, and I'm going home. But the first thing he does when he gets back on the ship is go to the library computer and look up Kodos. Yep. So he's not as unaffected by this theory as he is well, acting like he is. And we have seen this in the past in a recent episode. Like, what was the one on the the penal colony. Penal, I'm still laughing penal about. episode, Dagger of the Mind. Yeah, um, where he is, he thinks, he says, like, no, I don't believe this, and then he allows himself to investigate when somebody else has doubts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I thought was quite... He, did, he not only looks up Kodos, but he looks up the actor, Anton Caridian. Again, Correct. that's the last time I'm going to be saying that out loud, because it's the only time I have it in my notes. And essentially, the records for Anton Caridian only go back 20 years. Basically to the day when Kodos is supposed to have been killed. And before that, he didn't exist. Is this a mystery? 
No. No, it's definitely him. This is 100% not a mystery. And yeah, fifty percent of this planet was killed, and the Earth forces arrived again. First and they last don't have time, the words those are right ever yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. mentioned. Yeah, and so uh, Anton Critty informed the traveling actors of the galactic cult, part of the Galactic Culture Exchange Program. Glad the to know, company players. The Critty company called. players. Glad to know that such things still exist. <clears throat> yes. Yes. Yeah. And he has a daughter named Lenore, who's nineteen. Who is nineteen. How old is Kirk supposed to be right now? I think he's in his 30s. Early 30s? Okay. Can Te- I take... Technically legal. <laughs> Can I take a moment here? Uh, mm-hmm. Let me just settle down, yes. Yeah. So here is yet another example of Kirk taking a young lady who is much, much younger than him and using her feelings to get stuff from her. I didn't like this in Miri, and I don't like it here. I am way less bothered by it in this one. Okay, yes, but by the time you get to the end of the no, episode... No. even before you know that, I am completely fine no, with it. No, I was not. I was not, because, I mean, this girl is supposedly 19, born, at whatever. She's, she's, it's, it's... The reason she is 19 is to delineate that she was born after this happened. Mm-hmm. She isn't innocent, she wasn't participating in this, or whatever. Kirk is 32. Yes, that's still gross. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. I was, I don't like it when Kirk goes after younger ladies and uses tries to manipulate their feelings to get stuff out of them, even if it is, like, information about their possibly murderous fathers. Well, the thing is, though, that this starts out sort of the way he would charm anybody, and it progressively gets more... Icky? Intense. Um, Not just because he actually starts to like her, we find out later, but also because he becomes more and more convinced that Kodos, this guy is Kodos, and that means the stakes are higher. So, I don't know. I think, I like, I understand what you're saying, Kim. I know this is not a thing that you like, but she is also playing him. Yeah. Yeah, but and the she is, is using him. him. Yes. yes, yes. That, and when you get to the end and you find out about that, but, like, at this point in the episode, because, again, I didn't, I knew the name Kodos the Executioner. I did not remember how this ended. So I went into this, I did, like, I, I did remember how I can't ended. imagine how you would have guessed <laughs> <laughs> Well, I imagine it ends on a stage in an amateur theatrical presentation <laughs> on the Enterprise with her playing Ophelia. Yeah, no, 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 no. But like, I didn't, I didn't remember like who the killer was or anything like that. So at this point in the episode, I'm going great. Here's Kirk once again flirting with a young woman to get what he wants, to get him, to get her, to try and manipulate her into having feelings for him, so he can use use that against her and get information or get something from her. I don't think it's, that initially it's manipulate her into having feelings for her. Yes, it is. It's, no, it's just it's his to, normal party charming no, talking I think to it's people. For her, once he figures out who she is, although he would banter. recognize it's her. Not he knows exactly who, who she, she was. he is trying to, to use her to take, um, take him home to see Anton. But when yeah. she says that Anton doesn't see anyone, then yeah. he has to figure out an alternate plan. And initially it's very much, it's reciprocal banter rather than full-on I'm going to get secrets out of her. Oh, yeah. It, it changes, certainly, it's throughout flirty. the episode. But it's, it's flirty. But he goes yeah. in with the sp- express purpose of getting information and well, using sure her. He does. I, I don't like it. I know, Kim. I, okay. So, so that's the last time I'll say that in this episode, okay. so we can okay. go on. So Kirk looks at two pictures. He looks at one of Kodos, and he looks at one of Anton Curry, and he's like, is he the same person? And then they put two pictures side by side, and he's like, oh, yeah. It's yeah, obviously the same person. It's the same dude. Yeah. yeah. Mystery solved. Except the picture of someone is not enough to convict them. Why don't we peel the makeup after him and take a look? Or do a voice recognition pattern? Oh, wait. Well. Anyhow. So we go down to the cocktail parties of the future. Where they are playing the Star Trek theme song. 
Were they really? Were they? A slower, more sultry version, but yes, it is the Star Trek theme song. It's like in Midsummer Murders, where the orchestras at Village Fates are playing. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a theme song. And it's also notable that in cocktail parties of the future, the hosts enjoy none of their party because they're busy doing all the work. Yeah, yeah, and that was the part. No, no, no. The other part that got me is like Kirk shows up and Martha is it is like Tom went out. He's in town. His own party. He's on his way back. Yeah, he threw this party. And then didn't show up for it. Again, Martha does not care for Tom. <laughs> and the most important thing when Blondie Lenore comes in is that her drink matches her dress. <laughs> that was pretty amazing. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Oh. That was amazing. Well, actually, she's not carrying a drink yet. She takes Kirk's. He gives it to her. She Yeah, she walks up to him and she says, is that drink for me? He says, why not? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. And so they do some flirty banter. Mm-hmm. Very, she very says, flirty. Uh, so I really like to meet your dad. He's famous. And uh, she says, he doesn't see people. How does he not see people? Yeah, I don't know. He doesn't, like, Isn't talk he... to fans? He's, like, the head of this traveling play company. And Kirk says that, too. He's like, you're kidding. He's an actor. He doesn't like schmooze. That's weird. Which is weird. It's true. It is yeah, weird. All actors like schmooze. That's, yeah. be- that's why they become actors. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. Yes, Kim. Red flag. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Actually, Kim, how to say, I get your point, red flag, but here's the thing. Everything is swathed in red. Yeah, the entire thing is red flags. Yeah, Because as soon as they show them face by face, you're like, oh, well, of course, mystery solved. I mean, this episode begins with with Macbeth, which is red flags back to back. (laughs) Like, it's true. Although we're going to pull a red flag on McCoy, and I would like you to guess when that happens. Okay. okay. I, I bet you'll figure it out pretty yeah. quick. So she's all, ooh, Captain. And he's all like, ooh, lady. Blondie. And she Blondie. mentions that, this is the first time she mentions that they're not sure that the ship that's supposed to be coming for them. It's the Astral Queen. The Astral Queen. Which actually was used by, who's the guy who did ba- the new battleship Galactica? Battlestar Galactica. Sorry, um, did not watch. Um, Ron D. Moore? Yes. Named one of the ships the Astral Queen after this. Aww. Yeah, so Kirk flirts for the Federation. <laughs> yeah. Now I want a t-shirt that says flirting for the Federation. <laughs> and he is ever so smooth, and he's like, mm, like let's take a walk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and here I wrote, this is a fascinating outfit, because it's a curtain. It's a face tent. Yeah. It is a sheer face tent. Kim, yes. now I know you have descriptions of all these episodes. This is the only costumes. one I don't because I was too focused on when they left the house. For some reason, she put on a black veil to go for a walk. Yes, yeah. this is her giant veil tent. Yes. Yeah. She's, she's wearing, wearing like, a long out. filmy poncho and a veil tent. Yeah, it's black, like, black it's head huge. veil. It looks like she's in mourning. Victorian morning. It's like she's well, wearing a parasol on her is. head. Maybe she is. Preemptively, which should be suspicious. And apparently Planet Q is awful. Yeah. yeah. Very, like all planets. Very stony. Yes. It's very it's deserty. Stony. And they almost smooch, but then Kirk is spock-blocked by a dead body. <laughs> and I think- I'm sorry, is every abortive attempt, or every time Kirk tries to kiss a lady and he is, like, somehow not allowed to being called a Spock block? It absolutely is a Spock block. Okay, okay. And he is Spock blocked by the body of his dead friend. <laughs> Who's definitely not on his way back from town. Poor Tom! Oh, Poor Tom. dead Tom! But again, if Tom had had his druthers, he would have not held a cocktail party where in there were murderers. It's like he's never read the mysteries he was emulating. Mm-hmm. No, but he is tragically dead... And then they put him on the couch. They put his body on the couch and cover him with the tackiest blanket ever made. And is Martha bothered? She's not bothered. No. She's sort of like, well, glad I'm done with that. Maybe for the best. He was never happy. 
with me. (laughs) (laughs) Or anything. Or anything. Um, But she does say the, you know, another important stage moving forward line in every murder mystery. Why was he killed if what he said wasn't true? Because he was... I don't know. Fair point. Mm. Fair point. Mm -hmm. There's a clue there, but it's a clue to a mystery that has already been solved. At least by the audience. And Kirk! And Kirk! It's not a mystery anymore, but he still doesn't have proof. Well, I think we can go with Kirk as, like... He's fighting against what he really wants to believe, is that this this event is over, it's yeah. done with, it's in the past, and he shouldn't have to be revisiting it. So when someone's coming up and saying, it's not over... He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to. He's like, yes, it's over. I'm going to double check and make sure it's over. And but he's, he's getting still... red flags, and I think that's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kirk's not in a super emotionally stable, shall we say, state throughout this episode, because he does one questionable, professionally questionable thing after another. Well, first, there's talking to Lenore at all. Second, there's what he does next, where he calls the ship on Scramble, <laughs> and uh, he calls the, the, the Astral he Queen. He calls the Astral Queen, and he says, um, John Bailey. Yep. And he says, uh, how about you, you know, skip picking up the actors? We'll, we'll do it. And the friend's like, oh, that's weird, but okay. And Kirk's like, just call it a favor and don't ask any questions. Which, of course, he does, because everybody loves Jim Kirk. Again, I have a question as a taxpayer. Mm-hmm. Why are we using my Federation dollars to transport actors around? Uh, they're part of the inter-whatever... Do you also have the same question as a taxpayer about the Canadian Council for Arts and funding arts and plays and etc.? Yes. yes, Surely they were like in the neighborhood. Terrible person. Mm -hmm. I am. Oh my god. Back to the ship with more crane shots. A crane shot that does not involve Sulu. Yeah. There is no Sulu in this episode. There is no Sulu in this episode. It's weird. It is weird. I do believe that the actors appearing depends more or less on how much money they had. This is, however, the last episode we ever see Janice Rand. It is. Is this bridge. really the last she one? She doesn't that, speak. She's that, on the bridge in the background. So what happened? Okay. And the okay. So sorry. I, I was going to ask the thing about not seeing Sulu is when I look, when I think back over like the last few episodes, he seems to be in the, the batch that were filmed first, like the ones with Rand, like that whole first batch in bad cinematography, heavy, heavy uniforms. Then he vanishes in all the sort of stuff that was filmed after that. And I'm assuming at some point he comes back. Obviously, comes back permanently a little bit later. But yeah, but it was just a really interesting sort of like it's the same thing with Scotty. Yeah, um, in that it's several episodes. They had an engineering person, but uh, Montgomery Scott yeah costs more money than your average extra, so they just use someone else, which is horrible. Anyways, so the actress apparently sashays back onto the bridge. Again, no security on the bridge. Well, he does. It, to be fair, in this case, she calls up from the planet and says, um, I need to come see the captain and be... I don't know why they let her come up, but he does say... To have send this her private up. conversation yeah. on the bridge of a starship, yes. which but is a he working does say, environment. He does say send her up to the bridge. So in that case, the security snafu <sighs> would be at the transporter. Yes. Those important things in this scene. Pivot chairs... Purses. Okay, we're gonna go over her outfit here. Because <laughs> first off, a she is wearing a furry mini dress mm. over opaque, sparkly tights with the ugliest clutch I have ever seen in my life, and gloves. I didn't notice the gloves. My God, she's also wearing hideous kitten slip-on backless heels. They are atrocious. And despite this, <laughs> she's able to make a bargain with Kirk saying, oh, you can drive me places and we'll put on a special performance for the crew. And Kirk says, oh, I'm sure the men will enjoy that. I love the fact that apparently the crew of the Enterprise is just fucking dying to see Shakespeare. Well, here's the thing. Like, 
they're schmoozing in front of everybody else. The and entire uh, bridge, yeah. And, and everyone except Spock. Well, Spock is looking directly like, what the hell is going on? This is eight light years away from where we're supposed to be. Are people just supposed to look away when the captain openly flirts on the bridge? I guess so. I suppose. Ugh. And so Spock is sharing some cubes with Okora. <laughs> <laughs> and it... <laughs> Sorry. Well, is this the so this is the only bit of Rand that we get is her coming on the bridge and, and giving this lady some epic side eye. Oh yeah, and that's and that's it. That's the last Rand. Are you kidding me? She comes back in the motion picture. But yeah, this is the last. That's the, the last thing. So it's, essentially, she was um, told that she was being let go. She went to the liquor store, <laughs> got a little bit boozed up inside. That's the only time that she's ever drunk on set. But she was very upset. Like, Fair she, enough. In her memoir, which I have read, yeah. um, she was very passionate about Star Trek. She saw this as her big opportunity. She saw it was going to be a hit show. She had a feeling, and she wanted to be part of that family. And Instead, yeah. she got treated like garbage. Like yeah. garbage. I'm very sad because I love Rand. Like, I never sort of really noticed her before this time around. Like, I mean, I knew she was there, and I kind of knew she was awesome. But the more I've seen of her, like, she's... Bananas, crazy, amazing. I love her. The end of Kim's passionate rant speech. <laughs> Moving on. So we get a nice little Spock and McCoy scene, actually, where Spock has noticed that Kirk is acting weird. Round of applause for Spock actually, today. Yes, excellent Spock. Although I want to go back for two seconds because before this we get Kirk aloud on the bridge getting the information from the computer that says... Although there, there are only nine witnesses from Tarsus, and one of them is Kevin Riley, who's on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. This is all happening aloud on the bridge. Everyone can hear everything the computer's saying. Okay. Um, and he tells Spock to send Riley, who has just been promoted to communications, oh, back to engineering. And Spock's like, he's going to see that as a demotion. And Kirk's like, I don't care. Just do it. I would argue that Riley's behavior during the naked time should earn him a demotion. Also, considering what he does while he's engineering in this episode... <laughs> This is the same dude from the Naked Time. Yeah, 100%. The I'll descendant of Irish King. Oh back. my god, how did he ever get a promotion? These are excellent questions. I guess he yes. promised to never sing again. I didn't even realize that it was the yep. same guy. Yep. Oh wow. So, yeah, th- so yep. then Spock goes to Sick Bay where Bones is taking a booze break. Yeah, yes. That's exactly what I wrote. Bones <laughs> is boozing in Sick Bay. Yep. And he actually points out this is the only time all week I've had to get drunk. <laughs> Why are you talking to me, Spock? So strange. So, the man on top walks a lonely street is McCoy's justification for Kirk. Acting crazy. Acting crazy. Uh-huh. And <laughs> there's this very weird exchange where Spock says that he doesn't drink, They're, that Vulcans don't drink. Is this true? Do we never see a Vulcan, like, skunk drunk? Uh, I don't think you ever see them drunk. There are definitely Vulcan liquors. Well, there's, like, you know, you have... I'm tra- I'm going through my Vulcans. Tuvok would never drink alcohol. Mm. Vorik might drink alcohol, but he's the fun party Vulcan. Mm. Um, he's the fun twin. Yeah, he is the fun <laughs> twin. Um... Uh, to Paul is a Vulcan equivalent of a crack whore at one point, so she definitely gets part. She definitely gets a little high and stupid. Mm-hmm. I think it's more that Vulcans don't see the point of getting drunk. Yeah, he's like, there's the, the dubious benefits of alcohol. Jewish McCoy replies, "No wonder you your people were conquered." Big ex. Big don't question. know what the hell that's yeah. about. Question, that's mark, question mark. Question mark. Yeah, I had mark. no idea. I was like, 
the Vulcans were conquered by I who? I have no knowledge of what the hell he's talking about here. Like, they were... Because, I mean, what we learn about the Vulcans is that they and the Romulans sort of had a split at some mm-hmm. point in their history. And, like, the Vulcans got on a ship and left. Or the Romulans got Romulans on a ship left. and left. The yeah. other weird thing in this scene is that Bone says maybe he just likes the pretty girl. But that's not and logical says, to kidnap her. No, and then, well, what he actually, I don't think anybody knows about him, you know, snafuing away their other ride mm. to arrange exactly this to happen. But Bone says maybe he just likes the pretty girl. And, and then he says, of course, your personal chemistry would prevent you from seeing that. I don't know exactly what he meant by that. He means that Spock is super jealous that Kirk is looking at somebody other than Spock. Yeah. I will give you that point because there fair. is no other explanation. No. no, Spock is super jealous. No. In the meantime, Kirk is giving Lenore a tour. private tour of the Enterprise to look at the observation deck, the mm-hmm. flight deck, the shuttlecraft. And she's. Wait, does he mention shuttlecraft? He mentioned shuttlecraft. Yeah, I don't think they see the shuttle, but right at this they, moment, no, they're because down because and this say. is like low rent. They're yeah. looking out. Windows. Oh, yeah, there is absolutely my 15 shuttlecraft. <laughs> yeah. I'm just impressed that we have got a... This is, this is our first mention of shuttlecraft? Yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and she says, did you order the soft lights, especially for the occasion? And I laughed real loud. Yes, and we need to take this moment for another outfit break, because <laughs> Lenore has changed. Uh-huh. Outfit breaks by Kim. It's yes. been like two hours. Yes. She is now wearing a multicolored caftan pantsuit. With furry armholes. Wow. Every it part of that sentence is beautiful. Bananas. Wow. Bananas. It was like one of the ugliest things I have ever seen, and yet it was completely illogically constructed, and just, good lord, who designed that thing? She also misquoted Starlight Star Bright. That was very strange. Um, but Kirk says, oh, usually when I romance a girl, music and uh, flowers. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, but what, the only interesting part of this conversation is that they try to duplicate Earth's light condition. So that's why the lights are dim. Yeah. The day and night. That, yeah. They, yeah. They, operate on, they operate on 24. You see that on uh, Next Gen as well. They operate on a 24-hour cycle. And oh. for the evening, things the go dark. Dim. And so you get a couple of episodes where you get them starting off. So you have the day shift. And Riker will stride manfully onto the bridge <laughs> and be like, computer, begin day shift. And the lights will come up. I feel like you shouldn't have to tell them. My, my computer knows what a day shift is. Also, I don't think you should need to say that Riker strides manfully. <laughs> There is no other way for him. Um, and then starts the most awkward flirting scene I've ever seen. And I remember flirting in sixth grade. This also was a very long space dick joke. This was gross. Yeah. All that power in the ship. Throbbing. Surging. <laughs> and throbbing. I just wrote dick joke. I, I don't. No, no, no. Wait. I'm channeling my inner Lenore. Oh, sorry, sorry. Carry on. Surging and throbbing. Are you like that? All that power at your command. You can count on it, says Jim Kirk. It is awkward. So awkward. So gross. Awkward. And then there's this this stuff, of course, my meat and potatoes, of how he's essentially a machine, because he's the captain. Are you even human? Um, and then, oh, there's an awful okay. part. Oh, I noticed it here. went, it went, because she's, there's this really confused thing about machines and tools making people less human, which is baffling and completely lost in all the other but also parts about the ship being a woman Mm -hmm. and then she says uh has the machine the machine whatever the hell that means made women more like just people and then yeah this was very gross there's a line 
I think yeah. it's like suns will die, stars will explode, civilization will rise and fall, but a woman always remains a woman. I feel like that was a liquor ad. Right? It does kind of sound like ad or a cigarette. A woman will Maybe. always remain a woman, so fill her up full of gander goose liquor. Uh, to which she also calls him Caesar of the Stars Uh and she is Cleopatra a Cleopatra to worship you so not only does she not know her history or her Shakespeare no that uh, actually is a fairly apt literary reference uh, I'm offended by Cleopatra to worship him Cleopatra was like worth 7,000 of them worshipping him while using his political acumen to gain herself better trade deals yes Mm-hmm. Um, so during this whole transaction, we have my favorite, my bread and butter, the nice one-two shot. <laughs> However, they are both so like they are lit in like the softest of soft lighting ever existed. I actually mm. wrote that the lighting is so soft, I want to lie down and take a nap. <laughs> it was like that was like hardcore romance going on right there. Um, which we leave abruptly to go check back in with Spock, who is crazy jealous. He's crazy jealous, but also wringing his hands. <laughs> yeah, he basically does like uh, that thing where you try and figure out what someone's been searching by starting typing to see what pops up. He's requerying the same search that Kirk he's going did. through his internet search history. Yeah, and he's finding out exactly what he was searching about, and he finds out he basically puts together this entire thing in like five seconds, which. Also, we did. The important thing is, I think, interesting in this one is that he talks about eugenics, that he wasn't the first. It was ruthless by his ruthless personal standards. Families, uh, families were destroyed. Children watched parents die. They died without pain, but they died. Um, This is him. Uh, He goes and finds bones. I really like this bit because it's a really good little Spock and Bones sort of relationship moment like this is how they relate to each other it's not just the fact that they both know that jim kirk at some point is going to blow himself up out of stupid but it's also like if he needs to talk to somebody about squishy moral problems he doesn't go to kirk he goes to bones Mm -hmm. but again i I felt like spock had more emotional connection to what happened than I thought Nimoy gave well, a Spock, brilliant performance. In Spock the very clearly is upset by all of this, mainly from the humanitarian, and I use that word not to be like speciesist, but the humanitarian perspective. Like he's he's he finds this apparent from a humanitarian perspective. Mm-hmm. It's like all of those people died for no reason. It was logical and it was horrible. Bones, of course, just brushes this whole thing off again. No, it gets worse. Yeah. So there are nine who survived the massacre. Everyone other than Kirk and Riley are dead. dead. Yeah. And bonus, <laughs> everywhere that they have died, the Caridian Theatrical Company was there. Yeah. Is there a mystery here? Are there any cops in this universe? No. That's the thing. Where, is, How has no one figured this out? Like, are there cops in Starfleet? Yeah. Are there cops on planets? I think there are. There are yeah. various security Forces. forces and you have secret there's secret police is a big theme in next yeah. gen and ds9 yeah yeah but yeah um, they definitely have criminal courts and, and there's stuff. definitely like starfleet security investigate stuff so yeah. if like something was if something if somebody were murdered on your ship you send your chief security officer to investigate it yeah odo is certainly tracking down killers all the yeah. time on ds9 yeah but yeah like this this seems bizarre like there's these nine murders and nobody and this weird has, theatrical oh, company just happens to be in the vicinity and nobody at any point of it before spock you know investigating this has discovered this it was weird on the yeah. other hand spock investigates would be a great idea for the new star trek yes yeah, cbs yes. take call us call us mm-hmm. um 
Yeah, so then we get to see, we go check in on poor Riley, who's really not very good at <laughs> his job. He's so bored. He's so bored. He's sad in engineering. It's dark. So he calls he's up in to the rec room. He's okay. No, so, this is after he's been demoted. So he's been demoted to communication. Question. Yes, Kim. We, I don't really know why Kirk decided this guy is the only guy who might be able to corroborate this story. He's possibly under threat of being killed. Let's send him to the lonely and abandoned bowels of the ship. Where there is no other human being. Yeah, I thought that was weird. Except for him. So let's isolate him from the herd. I don't know what the like a wolf. for this, except that maybe communications is lower security than engineering. I think, One hopes. I think that essentially communications is apparently in the bowels of the ship and that you wouldn't run into them in the hallway or... Maybe. come into contact with guests on the ship. I think mean, yeah. he was trying to hide him, but why not? If you're worried about whether this is Kodos or not, grab the other guy who knows what Kodos looks like and be like, hey, I want you to introduce special job to this guy. Yeah, or if like if he is a communications officer, be like, hey, Ahura, you have the afternoon off. Riley's going to come hang out on the bridge Except it turns out the bridge is a really bad place. Well, but I mean, just I like just, loop him in. Yeah, I didn't yeah. understand the logic wow. of he doesn't Stashing him. too well when mm-hmm. he does find out. Um, but yeah, Riley is what I wrote was Riley very focused and professional. <laughs> I wrote Riley calls the rec room because he's bored. Yeah. Um, and Uhura sings him a little song because he's dying of boredom. Yeah. And this time she gets sound processing. So factoid, there is a musical number in the middle of this murder mystery. This is better than the last one, right? Yeah. Long shot. I also I did not. This was a real I did song. Not turn this one off or mute it, but I did walk away and not pay attention. Mm-hmm. To what I don't understand. Like, was this supposed to be a variety show? No, do you know what else, though? We hear the song again. Not in original series, but it comes up in a bar scene in DS9. Really? Yep. Yeah. So it is a song that actually exists in this universe, which I think is charming, even though it was really long for the middle of the episode. Maybe they need to kill it's time. It's so bizarre. It, it's exactly what it felt like. It felt like a time fell. Yeah. Yes. But while this is happening, while Riley is sort of sitting with his chin in his hands, listening to Uhura's pretty song, someone sneaks up behind him where his food tray is. I guess he's someone delivering him dinner. He has a glass of milk. A glass of milk. And a tray of food cubes. Yeah. And someone comes up out of the dark and squirts, I guess, Lysol into it. (laughs) I'm sorry, that was the least menacing poisoning I've ever seen. Squirt, squirt, because there's this dark, like there's the music, and then there's this dark shadow. Yeah, Yeah, that was was creepy. That brings out a spray bottle, the kind that I use on my dog when I want to get her stuff barking. Squirt, squirt. (laughs) Again, why is there security detail on this guy. I was wondering um, that also. Yeah. Anyways, so people are playing space... The other thing is that people are playing space checkers in the rec room, which I really like. Yep. So they poison to his milk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he drinks the milk. No, 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 no. Uhura finishes her song. No one applauds. Yeah, I noticed that. I was like... I, I was like waiting last for yeah. No, there was just like... That. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Mute appreciation. Yeah, and then she like wanders over closer to the communication panel to keep talking to Riley. Like, why didn't anybody applaud? I mean, granted, I was not enthusiastic about the song, and I particularly wanted. <laughs> but this to sounds stop. like the kind of space music that the space people would like. Yes, if someone sings you a song, you applaud, even if it's Wonderwall. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, no, no. Also, if somebody is singing and you're super not into it, you applaud because it's over and polite. Very true. So we get the most sinister milk shot of all time. Oh, that sounds really, really... Oh. He, here's... It's anyway. exactly what it means. It's sinister and it's Not a euphemism. Yes. And he is also very vigorously drinking his milk. <laughs> it is like the most vigorous milk drinking And apparently drinking this is a really <laughs> serious business. Oh, because about a second after he drinks the milk, 
he grabs at his throat and he's like yelling or gasping or whatever, mm. choking into the, the communicator and he passes out. So as it turns out, it is fortunate that he got bored and called the rec room because if he hadn't, no one would have found him in time. And he would have been tragically dead by a spray bottle. Um, like, but he, okay, my other question is, why is engineering completely abandoned? Like It's communications! It's not, no, he's he went up to communications, he came up from engineering, he got sent back to engineering. I wrote it down. Really? But it doesn't matter. It's a good question why either of those places would be abandoned. Why not, A, put a secret security detail on him, or B, make sure that he's in a place where there's more than one human being? This is an excellent thing. I'm sure they'll take that into account next time. Yeah, let me just put that forward to Starfleet HR if you are listening. Yeah, so uh, Riley gets rushed to sick bay, and uh, there's a time lapse, and he's not dead, which is fortunate. No, but then things get hinky. Yeah. So Spock and McCoy are talking about, like, you really have to pull, Spock is saying, you really have to pull this guy through, he can't die because other, if he's dead. There's just the captain. Yeah, he's yeah. the last one. He's the last one. And McCoy... Oh, my God. Clock is like, this guy has been... Like, this is an attempt at murder. It's an attempt to shut him up. And McCoy's like, no, it's lubricant. A milk... A direct quote. A milky substance. Someone could have made a mistake. Now, ladies, I know <laughs> that I like to keep my poisonous milky lubricant right in the fridge by my regular milk. In a bottle that looks identical. <laughs> in an identical bottle, mm-hmm. none of which are mm-hmm. labeled, just assuming that I'll get the right one when I put it in my cup of tea. And here I wrote, phones, please never fight crime. <laughs> so I would like to award the worst detective award to McCoy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, it felt like he was doing that just to be contrary to Spock. It made no sense. Or yeah. that they just wrote it because there had to be like one more authority figure who thought that this was nonsense. But basically it just makes him look stupid. So how did a mistake, a, a mistake that anyone could make, making, putting poisonous Whoops. lube in the milk into glass. milk. No, no, no. It had to be an entire glass full of poison lube. For that to make any how, sense at all. How would you get your poison lube into your glass? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. No, I want someone to give me an explanation of there how you one. would get the poison lube into the it's glass. Nonsense. Oh, it was a mistake that anyone could make. I'm washing the glasses, and I was going to put the regular dishwashing soap, <laughs> but instead I reached for my industrial poison lube. So Bones is not only forbidden from ever insane. fighting crime, but also pouring milk. <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't think I'd take anything that he gives me. So this is the point at which Spock and Bones... No, no, uh, no. The best part is, is like, oh, milky substance. Someone has made a big mistake. And Spock says, no. <laughs> yeah. He basically says, that's stupid. Um, and I guess he just must drag Bones up to Kirk's office. Yeah. So McCoy throws down his Etch-A-Sketch on Kirk's desk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Spock says, jacques. And Kirk says, mind your own business. And Bones says, can't we all just get along? Yeah. I feel like we've just summed up the entire Star Trek canon. Well, actually, Bones seems to have gotten with the program now because Kirk yells at them and Bones is like, Jim, it's his job to question shit like this. Your personal business is my personal business. Yeah, well, this is why I was saying, like, I think the only reason Bones was being contrary about the poison was just to piss off Spock because he comes around when it's time to confront Jim. I know, I know. Yeah, so then there's this bizarre conversation where they're trying to wedge in the theme where Kirk's like, oh, it couldn't be him. Oh, it could be him. And Spock says, two plus two equals four everywhere in the galaxy. (laughs) And Any idiot would look at what is happening and go, this is clearly him. Kirk says, well, we have to bring him to Justin. McCoy's like, not vengeance? Up to this point, we have heard nothing of vengeance. Kirk hasn't been like, well, when I get that guy, I'm going to shank him. 
Yeah, yeah. but Bones basically says, yeah, I, the vengeance thing sort of comes, comes out, out of nowhere, nowhere a bunch of times because there's no suggestion at any point until Bones asks this question is, are you sure you're not after vengeance? And Kirk says, no, I'm not sure. Except it's the first time you ever see this. Like, up to this point, it's mostly hesitation because he doesn't want to relive this. Like Hamlet. And it's hesitation because he can't make an accusation like this unless he has concrete evidence. Like Hamlet. Like Hamlet. Very sensible. Mm-hmm. And now vengeance is added to the mix for no apparent it's, reason. It's very strange. And he says, I'm not sure what I want. I can't, I can't be sure that it is him. And Spock says, oh, it 100% is it's him. It's obviously yeah. him. He said, Kirk's like, once, tw- I saw him 20 years ago. Actors can change their appearance. Logic is not, logic is not enough. I which is true. feel my way. That would be circumstantial evidence, which isn't even enough to convict somebody now. But, you know, Spock, still, it would be enough to question the guy. It is very weird, because again, at this point, McCoy, who must be super liquored up, is like, are you sure you don't want to carry his head through the corridors? I think he, I think that was intended to come off as a metaphor, but it didn't really No, come it off came as off as like, so are you going to cut off his head and then parade it through the corridors? But the next line, I, well, I don't know if it's the next one, I also write, write down the cool ones, but um, he basically, he, he's like, I guess at this point we're supposed to assume that Kirk also wants vengeance, whatever. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but he's, he's like, vengeance won't bring back the dead. And Kirk says, no, but they might rest easier. Okay, but what does McCoy want him to that do? It's a good line. Yeah, it's a great line. It's a great line. What is McCoy suggesting? He's like, oh, well, you can't lop off his head. There are other alternatives. I think like, you could throw him in jail. Well, Bones yeah. has for no apparent reason left to the conclusion that Kirk is more likely to seek out vengeance than justice, which is not supported by either the episode so far or Jim Kirk's character as we know it. I don't know where the hell that came from. I'm just going bad writing because it makes no sense. But also, then Bones has been incredibly poorly written this entire episode. Yeah, he has been. Also, I'm totally on board for you. He's drunk. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's he, we did see him boozing earlier in Sick Bay. Maybe he was thinking about vengeance for some private Bones reason. Yeah. I don't know. But it, it, his alternatives are either you cut off his head and you pull a uh, con air, or you just let him go. No. Or no. other options. Or, but anyways, so Spock says, logic, 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 and then they hear a low, low calm. Well, Bones leaves first, because he's not really useful anymore. Kirk immediately recognized that as the sound of a phaser on overload. <laughs> Which someone has hidden in his quarters. Which is going to blow up. Yeah. Spock immediately starts rummaging through his, all of his personal clothing. Yeah, I noticed that Spock's <laughs> the first thought is like, I'm going to just toss his underwear drawer. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It is all black. Now's my chance. <laughs> All See, about. that just makes me think of 10 Things I Hate About You, where, yes. where Bianca Stratford says, a girl doesn't have black lingerie unless she wants someone to see it. Me. You know that's one of Jim Kirk's so favorite true. movies. And then Kirk starts looking... Oh my god, another Shakespeare reference. Hey! hey. Uh, Kirk starts looking through his books. Yeah, because that's a really sensible <laughs> place. Maybe um, one of them's fake. She's hollowed out the inside. They look oh. at a number of really ridiculous places. Before yeah. he finally goes to walk, he's like, go, clear the deck, because if that explodes, a lot of people will get killed. And he sends Spock out of his quarters, and then he turns around, and it has been hidden beta- behind the transparent panel. It's backlit! You they can see it off, silhouettes! Right? Because they've set off an alert. It is now being oh. silhouetted with every heartbeat. Very helpfully outlined. So there's this tiny alcove where the light goes, which... <laughs> <laughs> Architecturally makes no sense. No. Well, it's the like the red alert light. Yeah, why would I that guess. just be a light instead of an alcove? 
So, I don't know. It's this, like a box with a light bulb. So we then get, this is my favorite part of the episode where Kirk pulls out the phaser, runs into the hallway, does not know what to do with the phaser. So he <laughs> opens the garbage chute or whatever very and tips it down yeah. inside the ship, like into the walls of the ship. Is the garbage chute like specially reinforced against That was my question. Like if you were also, worried about destroying things, yeah. don't throw it down the garbage chute. Also, Transport it. Also, we later see them stop a phaser overload by like, flipping a switch back. Yes! <laughs> so, I don't know. They didn't know how phasers worked yet. So, Kirk marches into Anton's room and says, Are you Kodos? Kodos <laughs> raises his eyebrows. <laughs> Do you believe that I am? Then I am. If it pleases you to if believe so. If it pleases so. you. I'm so, an actor. I'm wacky. <laughs> Kirk, where were you 20 years ago? Kodos. Younger. Kirk. <laughs> So was I, but I remember. Kodos, I am Kodos. Wait, no. <laughs> so he gives them the speech to read. So apparently they can do voice comparison and you can't fake it until you make it. So he makes him read out the order that Kodos gave to everyone the before execution order. the execution order. Yeah. Which was actually really horrifying. Yes. yes. Genuinely horrifying. Yeah. Um, he, Kirk says, so he reads it into the intercom and it goes off to be analyzed. And Kirk says, I remember the words, I wrote them down. Does that mean he remembers it from being on the spot and just now wrote them down? He remembered it verbatim. Yeah, that was my question. Was he. I mean, I believe that. Is there like. I'm assuming because they're comparing voice print that there is a recording of this somewhere. Yeah, so is Kirk just like, I'm going to write it down right now? Or, or is, is this just... like the first time it's ever been recorded? That's a very good point because prob- part of my problem is when they say that they're survivors, I assumed that there were nine of them that when they were killing 4,000 people somehow escaped death. And that's why they saw the face. That's why he knew the recording. And that's why. But again, that is conjecture it's on my part. very vague and cannot be proven either way. So, um... And apparently, Kirk is like, well, you didn't even look at the paper while you were reading this. And you, he's like, oh, I'm just... I learned my lines quickly. I'm just, I'm just so fast at, at doing things. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. he goes on a crazy rant, which is not the last of this episode. No. About how Kirk is mechanized, he's not human. Kirk says, you blasted away 4,000 people without mercy. Kodos... This is quite horrifying. I find your use of the word mercy strange. Oh. Yes. Uh, through the spaceship, we are striving to achieve greatness. And Kodos is like, I made a decision. Well, at this point, he's sort of talking about Kodos like he's another person, but he starts defending him. It's very strange. Like, And at this point, Kodos starts to try to parallel decisions, which again is one of the themes of this episode of like leadership in tense situations and... Is there a good decision to be made? I would argue that killing 4,000 people is not. Was the wrong decision. But let me change track for a moment. Have you guys all seen The 100? Yes. Not yet. Okay, Kim, shut your ears. Uh, People who have not seen The 100, shut your ears. Do you remember when the ship was running out of oxygen and they made the decision to blast all of those people out of the ship? Yes, but those people were volunteers. Is it really any different? He just straight up murder them. Those people were volunteers. He used eugenics, which at this point in canon, I think you have to assume that it was meant to be a Nazi reference rather than a eugenics world reference. Eugenics has been around since the 1920s. It has, but it's still also not, you know... It's, it's also in the 60s, it's, so in there's the no Soviet context. There's no way that eugenics can be considered morally neutral. 
No, and you can't not. assume like these people were not volunteers. It means that he made a personal decision just to pick the people he thought were useful and not useful. And he says that, he says away. you your continued existence is impossible. We need to save the more valued members of the colony. So he did make a decision to choose which people were killed. But I think that's really interesting to draw a parallel with the 100, which the same thing happens. Yeah. They murder. They do. They murder thousands of people, but that's even a legitimate leadership decision. Anyways, Kim, you can take your ears off now. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, that'll be interesting to skip over when I actually get <laughs> yeah. to this place. Basically, Kodos' entire little spiel here is he's goading Kirk to kill him. Because he doesn't want to be I, revealed. I think that he wants absolution from Kirk. Yeah, because and if Kirk he can't is the get only absolution. one that give it. Because you are a man of decision, you are a man of leadership, you understand what it is to make difficult decisions. Kodos was a man who was faced with a difficult decision. Mass murder. Or, or not. And he says Kodos could have been a great hero. Ugh. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I understand what he's saying. I don't agree with it, but like <laughs> he's definitely because I mean the the situation was that like there was rescue on the way, but it wasn't going to arrive in time. As far as they knew, as far as they knew, so he mm-hmm. made the decision. I'm going to execute half the people on this planet, so the other half will have. And you know maybe if the rescue ship hadn't showed up early. Because that was the thing, is it did show up early, so they were all could have saved all 8,000 people from starvation. Yeah. But if they hadn't, maybe he would have been lauded as a great leader for saving half the colony. Except he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. But that's his. If you're actually in a starvation situation and some people need to go to save the others, you ask for volunteers. You don't go, okay, I'm going to make a personal decision based on my own opinions of who is useful and who is desirable. But it's, they wouldn't have had enough volunteers. They had to get rid of half the population. I don't think it's excusable that, I, I feel like we're going too far in the quote yeah. of defense. But I mean, that's what he's trying to say, is that this was a very difficult leadership decision mm-hmm. for the survival of all Because the, the way that this always looks to me is that Kodos, who was not actually the governor of this colony, saw this as his chance to use his, to, to put his eugenics theories into practice. To get rid of the undesirables. And he oh, just sees I the opportunity. I don't think there's enough to support you in the text there. I don't think there's enough to support the other way either. So He used a eugenics to decide who would live and who would die. and There's no way that eugenics is supportable. No. No. But no. like he w- that's what he based his decision on. It wasn't that he wanted to kill off half of the colony. But it's interesting because it get, again brings up one of the great Star Trek themes. Do you sacrifice the one for the many and... Like, he is trying to make the decision that I that there's a number that you can decide on that is adequate to ensure the survival. But even if any. even if the rescue ships hadn't made it in time, he still would have gone to jail forever. Because a mass murder is a mass murder. Kim, what do you think? I don't know. I really don't know how, like... Like, what he did was awful and it was horrible. But it, he is right that it is context is how, he is, how history yeah. views him. And, you know, if... I don't know if if they had been going to starve to death. Like, I mean, and the other thing is we don't know what kind of colony this was. This could have been um, populated with nothing but Starfleet officers and scientists and their families. Mm-hmm. And so, what did he do? Kill off the social scientists and keep the people <laughs> who might have been able to to like, yeah, like chemical, like like I don't know, chemistry them out of starvation or something. So again, there's not enough information to understand how he made the decisions, what his criteria was. One of a number of really frustrating things about this episode. Yeah. It is. That he, I don't know, I keep going back, he sacrificed many for the continued survival of many, and then it brings it back to the other uh, theme of Voyager, that survival itself is insufficient. Yeah. And so I think that 
Which is kind of where I come down on it. Yeah, I, I don't think we're supposed to th- sympathize no, with No, no, and I, I don't sympathize with no, motives. No, this is just but I would have liked to have... Still murder. Yeah. <laughs> cool motive. Still, still murder. murder. But I would have liked to have enough information to come to a real conclusion. But again, this is the kind of wishy-washy thing yeah, that, very th- that wishy-washy prevents this episode from being great. Yeah. It's like, fine, could have been great. So but anyways, Kodo says, oh, I don't remember, I'm tired. Uh, did you get what you wanted? And Kirk says, if I have got what I wanted, you might not have walked out of this room alive. And we're back to murder. Out of nowhere. Yeah. No, well, Lenore. Dear, oh, yeah. dear Lenore. <laughs> um, outfit update, Kim. Oh, I actually did not write down what she was uh, wearing here because, to be quite honest, I did not realize it's, she was the murderer. And I was, more, <laughs> I was more surprised with her coming I do out of the bathroom. This, actually. Really? Okay. It's a floor-length dress. Um, it's sort of a crossover bodice. Mm-hmm. Half of it is pink and half of it is black. It's quite reserved for Lenore, actually. That actually sounds, compared to the last monstrosity with the mm. fur armholes. I also think it's very okay. likely that this is a nighty because what she does is she comes out and she says, Dad, you should be in bed. And she sends him off. And she yells at Kirk. Yes, you use me like a tool. <laughs> and Kirk says, yeah, sorry about that. Can we make out later? Well, what he says is that, uh, yeah, I was totally yeah, using you, but I liked you really later on. Totally. And she says, you're like your ship. Powerful, not human, no mercy. Yeah. If he's Kodos, I've shown him more mercy than he deserves. Who, is, who are you to say what harm is done. And he says that um, if the voice print comes back and he's not Kodos, we'll drop you off at your next destination, just as planned, and we're done. Okay, Kim, I will allow you at this point to Ooh. throw a red flag on this play. Oh. Because they're essentially saying, yes, he's Kodos, I'm his daughter. Actually, that's all they're saying. I've got yeah. one more good line, though, in this scene, which all I right. really enjoyed. All right, because give us a dramatic she, reading. She demands, who are you to say what harm is done? And Kirk is already on his way out the door, and he stops, and he turns around, and he says, who do I have to be? Mm. Which I really liked, because it takes it back from revenge to, it doesn't matter how I feel about it. If he's this murderer, he has to be brought to justice. I don't have to have a moral stake in this in order to want him brought down. Mm-hmm. Nope, very true. Um, so McCoy refuses to take a look around his sick room to realize that <laughs> Riley is pacing around, because apparently cannot sit still. And he starts just jabbering away to his diary about how it's probably Kodos here. And, oh, didn't Kodos kill Riley's family? So we're keeping him here. Yeah, we'll just keep him here while the theatrical performance is going on. And did I lock my door? No. (laughs) So, of course, Riley overhears this and goes to enact revenge. Yeah, and uh, Kirk is creeping in the wings of the play, which is going ahead for some reason. And Riley breaks in and grabs one phaser. And I thought to myself... Christ almighty, if I was enacting revenge, I'd grab at least three. Like, tuck some into your sash. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, he is still a member of Starfleet. He's also, still trying to be responsible. Also, I want to argue that one phaser is you take this guy out and you surrender. Three phasers is you're going down shooting. <laughs> what if you miss with the first phaser? So, yeah, Kirk really knows his way around the backstage of the theater. Mm-hmm. And Riley eventually he kind of confronts Riley and tries to talk him down. And Riley does say he murdered my mother and father. And Kirk says, "You know, don't throw my life away." And Riley gives him a, a positive identification. I remember that voice, that face. I saw it. He murdered. Them. Also, somewhere in here, Spock calls him and says, "Yeah, it's definitely him." Or he brings him no, the voice. No, he says that the voice. 
the voice was not an exact match. Well, yeah. no, it was close. Spock says it's a match, and he puts the pages and down. And it's not an exact match. And then I'm like, wait, you said this was fucking infallible. Mm-hmm. Make up your mind, writers. But whatever. I'm convinced. Riley is definitely convinced. Yeah. Everyone is convinced except, except for Kirk. Kirk. Yeah. yeah. You could be wrong. You could be right. He's, he's not wrong. Yeah, so there were nine, now there are two, and now... Oh and now there's boy. one because Kirk sends Riley back to sickbay. Yeah, well, he's not dead, though. No. He's just in sickbay. Although, Lord knows, with McCoy not being able to differentiate between milk and lube, there could be a problem later. <laughs> At which point it is revealed that the murderer is... Lenore. 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 And she goes on a she long round. They're backstage, and, and Caridian is sort of, because I think Caridian realized what was happening with Riley or something, because they're backstage, and Caridian's like, oh, poor me, I'm haunted by my past. And Lenore basically walks up to him and says, don't worry, I'm killing everyone. Yeah. It's cool, I got this. Yeah. Uh, and then she goes on. All the on, ghosts are dead. I've buried them. Oh, it, there's oh, actually. Good lines. So many yeah, good lines. There's actually quite a good good couple of lines. She's dressed up as Ophelia because the play that they're putting on is Hamlet because mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm, a theme. Mm-hmm. Kim is going to immediately go home and watch the eight-hour play. Yeah. yeah. And I just might actually just watch the first season of Slings and Arrows again and call it enough. Although it hasn't been to this point. I really love Slings and Arrows. So she is laboring under this misapprehension that she is saving her father. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you were the only thing in my life that hadn't been tainted by the horrible things I have done and now you've ruined that. And she has... An amazing speech. She has an amazing yeah. speech. Yeah, Caesar comes, awed by your greatness. I'm bright, and bright as a blade, which BT dubs the name Lenore means light. So Aww. she's light and bright like a blade. This is also where she starts going way off the rails in Inverno's It's boy. a bit wackadoo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was a soldier in a cause. There are things to be done. You have nothing to apologize for, Father. And Kirk says, You killed seven innocent people. And she says, They weren't innocent. They were dangerous. I would have killed a world to save him. Oh. Wow. That was like, that was actually pretty powerful. This was a really amazing scene dialogue and acting wise. I was very impressed. Yeah. Star Trek's Shakespearean roots were very obvious. It was great. Um, I mean, apart from the fact that this was, you know, a pair of mass murderers justifying themselves to one another. But it was still really great theatrically. It was, there are a lot of good lines here. I'll make this a floating tune through space. She has, by this point, I believe, uh, taken a phaser. Yeah, she's also going full on Ophelia. Oh, yeah, and she's sort of backed out onto the stage because all she wants is for her father to be allowed to go and act in this last play. Yeah. Um, But the audience has noticed shit's going down by now because I think they are actually on stage by this point. Yeah, this is not the scene that I remember from a traditional Hamlet. No. Although Space Hamlet, I would definitely watch. Uh, Kenneth Branagh, if you would like to make another interminable eight-hour film, consider. Well, apparently there's a Benedict Cumberbatch version of Hamlet on stage in London right now that's not bad. Mm. Um, and while she is, her rant is upping in pitch and crazy, the camera zooms into her face, and I really love this. There are stars in her eyes. Oh, really? Well, yeah. she talks about, like, yeah. I'll make this a tomb... My father will give a performance for every star he touches. Yeah, and there are... It was amazing. I was very impressed. It was very good. But anyways, so she ends up accidentally killing her dad because this is a Shakespearean tragedy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, she tried to shoot Kirk and Kodos jumped in front of him to save him. Yeah. Yeah. 
fine. Kodos was tired. Yeah, he, he was. He got out of the blood on hands game a couple of years ago. Oh, mm-hmm. she's already tainted, so who cares? Yes, and then she starts gibbering and back to the bridge where McCoy pops on saying she remembers nothing. She still thinks Wait, no, 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 no. Oh, sorry. You missed her final line while she's sobbing over her father. Okay, 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 the play is the thing. Oh, it will yeah. catch the conscience of the king. Yeah. I can hear you rolling your eyes, Green. Really? Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not Ophelia's line. No, it's not. Anyway, so McCoy pops on saying, well, she remembers nothing. She's delusional in her head. Apparently that's the best place for her to be. It's like the end of the menagerie and the cage, yeah. <laughs> where the best thing for you to be is just delusional. Yeah. Well, it's also... Although a, in this case, she's going to Space Mental Hospital. It's also a neat... It's another Star Trek neat wrap-up, and, well, we're done. Yeah. So strange, because I believe McCoy says that you really... You cared for her, didn't you? And Kirk says, Mr. Leslie, full speed ahead. Does not answer. Yeah. I'm the captain, now shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. As directed by Barry Turner. Anyway, it's very odd. As it was very odd. It is. Sort of very abrupt. As like a, a very, very tense episode with a lot of high stakes emotions. And as you said, Kim, well, that was a... That was a thing that happened. Let's yeah. go. And never speak of it again. <laughs> There's another podcast that I'm listening to right now. And they're dealing with a like a... A sort of a nighttime soap from the early 90s and they're having a lot of one-off characters and they'll end each episode by going and we never saw that character again and this is how i feel watching early star trek yeah, watching much, star yes. trek it is a space soap it is yeah so this episode was uh considered too talky there was no monster or sci-fi gimmick so when they replayed them this episode was often left out oh really interesting yeah, so, um, performance of the episode, Kim. Uh, the lady who played Lenore. Barbara Anderson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was very good. That's who I was going to give it to as well. Yeah? Yeah. How about you, Green? I struggled. I thought she did a good job. Mm-hmm. She kind of balances being that uh, flirty, ingenue actress, and then she has the, the full-down meltdown, I thought she Oh, yeah. Fine in. That was yeah. incredible. Um, I also thought Arnold Moss as Kodos slash Anton was also very, very good. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I would give the performance of the episode to him, but I'm also going to give a slight tip of the hat to Shatner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He plays it subtle, which. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he does, he does that, that, that beautiful Jim Kirk repression very well in this yes. episode, even though this is a very different um, kind of stimulus that he's usually, than what he's usually suppressing. Mm hmm. I, we're supposed to believe that this is a personal thing that he's fighting against, and he still, it's its a different, it's like a qualitatively different kind of keeping it in check, but mm-hmm. it's still, he still got it down. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think that's why I initially liked this episode was because of the performance of Kirk, which is a mm-hmm. bizarre thing for me My to gosh. say. Dear diary, today Kim said she liked the performance of Kirk. Like, yeah. even though we don't get the details of what exactly his personal stake was on Tarsus, apart from just, you know, it was an awful thing that happened to him as a child. He plays it well enough still, that you believe I buy yeah, it. Exactly. Even though yeah. we don't know what it was exactly, I, it's still very believable. Which is sort of why I think initially, because now I've completely reversed my decision <laughs> on this episode. Thanks, guys. Sorry, um, was because why I, I like the episode is because I think I've said before that I don't necessarily give that much shit about a good plot as long as you've got give me good emotional content mm-hmm. and I felt like this episode gave good emotional content oh yeah it did yeah yeah it did and I think mostly that was, anchored but present definitely mm-hmm. I, I think it rests very much on 
Shatner's shoulders, and I think he pulls it off. Oh, yeah. Like, before I really started thinking about it again, this is, like, the second, third time I've seen this episode, yeah, I did buy it. I initially believed that his entire family was killed, which gave that a little bit of extra emotional weight, but I bought that he had enough personal stake in it, but examining it now and trying to go through the details of what actually happened, Mm -hmm. that's what makes me frustrated about this episode. It could have been great. Um, Anyways, life lessons to be learned. Kim? Um... Oh my god. I don't even know what my life lesson is. Don't wear that caftan. <laughs> it was so bad. No, it's probably something to do with don't act in a play if it's a metaphor for shit that happened in your real life. That I, That's I, an excellent life lesson. Actually, from yeah. personal experience, that is very true. Huh. Although my life lesson was going to be eyewitness reports are worthless. <laughs> and it's a really good thing that we now have DNA to fight crime. <laughs> also say like investigate dental records mm. yeah yeah um i still figured that just wasn't futury enough for them when they were writing this episode and again another life lesson that we can all take home with us is if you suspect someone of murder do not invite them over to your house for a lavish party yeah <laughs> you will be murdered yes, because you, you invited a murderer or at the very least someone you care about very much will absolutely be murdered so true uh deaths um one Oh, yeah. We weren't counting ones that took place before oh, the episode yeah. begins. Um, so, no, just uh, Tom Layton. And, and Kodos. And sorry, right. Side. So, it was, death count was two. That's pretty, not a single red shirt to be found. No. No, only in like backgrounds and audiences. Not dying, though. Yeah. No. Very much alive. Yeah. Right. Any other thoughts on Conscience of the King? Um, I have my count. Oh, your lady count? Oh, are you counting up the ladies? Ticks. She, she takes ticks. She takes ticks. Fifteen ladies. Ooh. Um, and four. Uh, one lady in pants. Five. I didn't realize. I don't see these ladies in pants at no, all. No, me either. I was in pants. Blinded by old Norse <laughs> They were so terrible. Although, like, props to the costume people for like going out there and just being wackadoo. Oh yeah. And fourteen people of color. Oh, we had a lot of yes. crowd scenes in this episode, though. Yes. So, um, and like a musical the audience. Yeah, and a musical member. Is this the last one? No. I'm sure it's not. What no. am I talking about? There's, There's the, the space episode. Yeah. Yes. Is that. Do we, like, do we get any more of these, like, musical fillers very often other than the hippie episode? Does, like, Ahura, like, break it down? Break down the wire? <laughs> not that I can remember off the top of my head. I can okay. only think of the hippies episode. I think there might be a quasi musical number in the one with the Greek gods. Yes, um, yes but is. it's not also exactly. A, yeah, yeah, it's not exactly like this though. It's more okay. horrible. It's really quite horrible as I remember it. Not like bad, but like horrible, like emotionally disturbing. Alrighty. Yeah. All right. Well, this is uh, Kareen signing off. Bye from Kim and me, Thanks. and we will see you at the Balance of Terror. <gasps>